0: Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. Do. It's party time. It's party time. Right, we go. Touchdown!
1: You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right, another week, and we have got a ton to talk about after a fourth straight loss as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here. On episode number 85, at the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films as we take a close look at this Eagles loss to the Washington Redskins and go over what we found on both sides of the ball after watching the tape earlier this week before... We look ahead to next week's matchup against those Baltimore Ravens. Next up, we've got scouting report where I want to talk about a player that's turned into a really interesting player for that Ravens offense that the Eagles linebackers must be ready to face in a multitude of ways on Sunday. We have got a ton to get into, so let's not waste any time. Greg and I talk Eagles Redskins before we jump into all of the biggest things you need to know as this team prepares to take on the Ravens. Let's get to that now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Join me once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg, welcome back to the Novacare Complex. I hope you had a, uh, a great 48 hours here <laughs> the last, since I last saw you. Uh, let's get right into it because we've got a lot to get into uh, obviously, another tough loss for the Eagles this week. Their fourth straight loss, uh, this time coming in against the Washington Redskins and a really tight game, a fun game to watch. You and I watched together, yeah. uh, really enjoyed watching this game. I thought the Eagles had a, a really good effort on both sides of the ball. There were a lot of good things to take away from this game, but let's start on offense. Everybody always wants to talk about Carson Wentz, and that's where we'll start. Tell me if you think I'm out of my skull here, because... You know, I, I think a first grader can go to the stat sheet and can look at <laughs> right, and say right, and see, right. oh, you know, he turned the ball over twice in the red zone. This guy, he couldn't have had a good game. He, and he fumbled it on the end. It, it's all in once. I thought it was probably his best game overall as an NFL quarterback.
0: I did, too. I thought he played really well. And I think what's really encouraging is he played well after playing poorly the week before. Yep. And I think the one one thing that stood out to me, too, was – He was so much more, from a a technique and fundamental standpoint, he was way more compact. Now, it's been a big topic of conversation these last two weeks, obviously, his delivery. We talked a lot, a lot last week. Right, right. And he was certainly more compact. But one thing, uh, as you know, I study pretty much every quarterback. I do that with college players coming out. And I think one of the things that you have to look at with Wentz is his arm speed is very fast. Does he drop the ball a little lower than you might like? Yes. but And, and I think that can be worked on because I don't think that's a fatal flaw. But he has very good arm speed through his throw. And I think that's something that I, I really wanted to mention last week when we talked about it. And I just didn't get to it. But overall... I thought in this game, Fran, he was decisive with his reads and his throws. He threw the ball with consistent accuracy. There was really only one ball he missed high. It was a short throw. I forget where it was. I'm sure you remember it. Yep,
1: I'm trying Um, to remember who the intended target was. Yeah,
0: it was was high, and um, he probably put too much on it. It was just a bad throw. But really, in this game he did not really make bad throws. No, I thought he he made good decisions yep. in the pocket. Yep. His escapability, his pocket
1: movement, you saw some, even the, the subtle moves. And that's something where we know that he's got the ability to escape, the ability to create right. with his feet and, and create opportunities for him to throw late in the down. But what we saw, too, I can remember uh, on the completion to Trey Burton on the three-level stretch when he, when Burton ran the sail route, you saw that slight move to his right just to, to create a throwing lane yep. for himself to deliver the football. Just little things like that where he's making subtle moves in the pocket to create time for himself, create space for himself to deliver the football to his receivers.
0: And I know that everybody who studies quarterbacks uh, – maybe comes in with certain ideas about what they think is important for the quarterback position in the NFL. I've been fortunate to study both NFL quarterbacks and college quarterbacks for a long time. And one of the things I really like about Wentz, and I'm not sure you can teach this, is he has natural patience in the pocket. He is not quick to move. He is willing to stand and deliver the football. And to me, ultimately, to be a high-level NFL quarterback, and that's what the Eagles are expecting with the number two pick in a draft— I think you ha- it starts in the pocket and I think that he has natural pocket patience to stand and deliver. Now there are times when he does move where he moves back and he's got to work on that, but we know he does have very good mobility. But I just like the you know, the throws he makes from the pocket. even the three level stretch when he had Ertz for twenty nine yards and he had the backside pressure, uh that, that should have been a penalty. That should have been a penalty. Yep. But but I mean you know, you feel that as a quarterback, and he still stood there and he made the throw.
1: He made some big-time throw on the two yep. game, you know, the yep. two potentially go-ahead drives late in the fourth quarter. The one that ended in a field goal and the other that ended in the sack fumble uh, late in the game. He made some big-time throws on both of those drives, sometimes with defenders bearing down. He threw some on out-breaking routes uh, from the opposite hash over underneath which defenders. Which we
0: showed on, on our draft show yeah. uh, that he did at North Dakota State. Yeah, those
1: were things yeah. that we saw that were easily projectable.
0: And maybe his best throw of the game was an incompletion, the one that Matthew should have caught on the second possession, which was – it's funny because one of my guys uh, – on the matchup show was watching it today and I was watching something else. And I hear him in the other room go, Oh my God. <laughs> and I looked up and he was watching the, that play. And I said, what? And he says, Matthews has to catch that ball. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those you know, one ones. Of those where, things. Yeah,
1: obviously. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, I know that Jordan would look at it and say, I absolutely 100% have to get both my feet right, down. Right. Something I've learned since high school. Uh, and he's made catches like that in the past. It's just a matter of executing that in the moment. But uh, obviously that play, Goes on to bite the Eagles because uh, two plays later, you get the interception. Yeah, uh, pass intended for Zach Ertz. And let, let's talk about this play because my uh, my mentions on Twitter are, were on fire the last two days. Uh, <laughs> just talking about who's who's at fault. What right, happened right, on this play? Right. Bad decision by Wentz. Bad route by Ertz. Awful effort all around. So let, let's. Well, I want to ask you about a couple different things because there's a lot of different layers to this play. Obviously, there's a lot of elements to the play. Yeah. So so let's from from your perspective. What is Before we even get about uh, get to Ertz and what he's thinking on the play, what is Wentz facing from snap to finish down in the red zone on this play?
0: Well, he's in the gun, and he's got Ertz to his left as the x iso receiver, and he's got the back to the same side, and he's got three receivers to his right. So what happens here is when he sees it zero blitz, and they showed it pretty quickly, it was pretty clear that it's zero blitz, which means everybody's coming and they're playing man-to-man across the board. He has to pick a side. You can't go from one side to the other versus zero blitz. You don't have time. So you pick a side. You're either going to throw the ball to the trip side or you're going to throw the ball to Ertz.
1: And typically against man coverage, especially against zero you were, you want to go to an isolation route. Correct, because you don't want to, don't to, want to throw the
0: ball to a lot of bodies. Exactly. Right, so if you throw it to trips, there's a lot of bodies there. Yeah. And unless you're throwing it, let's say, to an outside guy on a fade, where you know, you're taking your shot on a fade ball. But normally, you don't want to throw it right in the middle, in the middle of trips. So, sure. So he made his decision to throw the ball to Ertz. Now, there's no question that... Um, To Shazer Everett, who was the the safety, who was playing Ertz man-to-man, he was definitely playing with inside leverage. But the route call was basically a quick slant. So if you're not going to make any adjustment before the snap of the ball, then the route has to remain a quick slant because you don't have time for an adjustment after the snap of the ball because it's zero blitz. The ball has to come out. So as long as that's the case, either one of two things has to happen at that point. Either Ertz has to run the route and he has to make sure that he crosses the face of Everett. Even if it's incomplete, he has to make sure he crosses the face of Everett. The second thing is he and Wentz have to be on the same page and you make a slight adjustment that you both know is happening before the ball is snapped. Meaning uh, so a slight adjustment in terms of ball
1: placement, ball placement, or maybe timing, he, sure. maybe he,
0: he doesn't quite run a quick slant, but just steps a little further outside because he's in, you know, whatever the adjustment is, right. those are things that technically are done before you get in that situation. Sure. That's not, you know, you don't have time to, you know, draw up in the, in the dirt right at that moment. Of course. So one, one of those two things has to happen. Now, from what I've read, and, and you might know more about it than, than I do, is that Ertz thought that, the ball would not be thrown where it was, whereas Wentz made the throw where it was, thinking that Ertz would be there. Right. So, so. Ertz,
1: Ertz thought that the ball was going to be put on his back shoulder. So he was running a quick slant, and he thought, and imagine you know, he's running a quick slant towards the middle of the field, that the ball would be thrown on his right shoulder, his back shoulder. Right. Which is not you know, particularly uncommon, but it would be an adjustment. Right. based right. on what you said, uh, would be an adjustment, whereas Wentz thought the ball would be on his front shoulder, which, if that's the case... When Ertz, like you said, has to cross the face of that has DB to. immediately. The worst
0: thing that happens then is an incompletion.
1: Right. So, uh, but instead, Ertz, expecting that the ball is going to be on his back shoulder, tries to sell a little bit of a route upfield, and or then an he sort of slowed and- down. Yep. And
0: I said that to you when it happened. Yep. And they didn't. They never really had a great replay of it during the game. But I said it looked like he slowed down. Yeah. And I even said to you at that point that, without knowing, you know what was said after, I said. You can't do that. Right. You know, you can't let him cross your face. You just can't do that.
1: Yeah, so the the ball gets ends up getting intercepted. Uh and it's a huge turnover and those points end up coming back to haunt the oh. Eagles uh in a big way. Let's get to the, the the second red zone turnover. I hate to be harping on the negative cuz there was so much positive from from Wentz in this passing game. Uh but the the final play of the, uh, for the offense in this game. Carson leads an outstanding drive downfield. A lot of big time throws. Quick decisions. He beats their zone coverage and he marches the team down the field. The, Zach Ertz ran a great corner stop route to set up a right. first down inside yep. the red zone. It was a great little route. Little seven stop. Yeah, it was little a seven an outstanding stop. Outstanding route. Uh, and then you, you get the ball inside the 15 yard line. It's for, it's second down now. And what you get is is they're running a, a little, basically, it, it, you know, for all intents and purposes, a high low read to the left side. And they're sliding the protection towards Ryan Kerrigan. But the protection breaks down. Matt Tobin, who was playing on it, we found out later, uh, a damaged MCL, uh, and now is going to be out for the year. Gives up. Are the you sack playing right tackle Ergen. this week? Uh, I, I have yet to to get my name called, my number called, but it, it
0: might be coming when they I'm start ready. practice. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. So, I mean, again, that that pressure, and we looked at that play at films. A bunch of us, that pressure pressure was really quick. You couldn't throw it to Matthews out of the backfield. Not yet. I no, mean, right. that, that's not an available throw with no timeouts. No. and the, So so basically what he was waiting for, because he was looking left, was he was waiting for the, the two routes. Ertz was one of them. I forget who the other receiver was. I think it was Nelson okay. running on the bottom of the vertical right. route. So yep. you're waiting for that to develop, but the pressure was too quick. Uh, we, like I said, we talked about it at NFL Films no one thought that was on Carson Wentz. It was just too quick. Yeah. I mean, you can't throw it to Matthews. I mean, obviously, he's leaking out as a check down, but you can't throw a check down there because then the game ends. Let me ask you a question, and this goes back to that first interception. One of the, the uh,
1: quote-unquote flaws that people are throwing around about Carson is his inability to not stare down receivers. Everybody says, oh, he's staring down his primary option. He's staring down his primary option, which – I personally don't see as are there cases where that does happen. Yes, I think there are. There is a case or so where that does happen, but I don't see that as something, especially on that Ertz interception. See, everyone says, "Oh, well, he was staring down Ertz the whole time." That's That's not a in that case. That's that's not not even
0: a relevant point on a play. See, if you're going to go quick game, yeah, take us through. Take us through. If you're going to go quick game, and what by quick game that means it's it's a quick three step timing and the ball's out. You're not reading so you're not looking to one side and then the other side so if you throw the ball in quick game you're looking at who you're throwing it to that's the way it works you're not
1: you're not looking in left field and trying to throw it over the right field fence no no not with quick game <laughs> no. and the eagles do a ton
0: of quick game right so there's a ton of throws where he's basically if he's in the gun, it's almost a one or two step drop and throw. If he's not in the gun, it's three step and the ball's out. And by the way, the timing of that is 1.5 seconds. So those are not progression reading throws where you're looking off. In the quick game, you're not taught to look to one side and throw it to the other. Now, if you want to excuse me, if you want to discuss deeper drops. Pure five-step, which the ball should be out in 2.1, or seven-step, which the Eagles don't do a ton of. Uh, Most teams in the NFL now don't do a lot of seven-step. That's 2.5 seconds. Then there's a reading progression where the quarterback has to work and manipulate the defense, but not in the quick game. So, for instance, on the interception by Everett uh, in the end zone, there's no reading there. There's no look one way and come back the other way. You're throwing it to one guy. It's zero blitz. Yeah, I, I meant to bring that up to you when we were talking yeah. about the interception and we started talking,
1: and I, it slipped my mind, but I was glad we were able to hit on that point. So, uh, overall, I was very, very impressed by Carson, very excited to see him play in these last three games and, and see him down the stretch here uh, as
0: the Eagles conclude one the season. One final point on their offense, yeah. which I thought was really interesting. I'm sure you noticed it. Maybe you didn't chart it, but 57% of their snaps – had either 12 or 13 personnel in the game. That sounds about right. And and I know Doyle Green-Beckham was inactive, but it's very telling that on their final drive, and I I have the numbers, and I'm just going to look at them to make sure I'm correct. Um, Their final drive ending with a Kerrigan sack fumble was 10 plays. Nine of them, they had 12 personnel on the field with Ertz and Burton. And, unfortunately, that kind of says it all about their wide receiver position at this point.
1: And obviously, you're, you're, yeah. they're running in tempo at that point right, as right. well. But No yes, question. But Absolutely. I mean, that's their, that that's, seems to be that's their preferred probably their, their best – certainly yeah.
0: with Green Beckham inactive, That they clearly felt that was their best personnel in that sure. situation.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Let me ask you one last question on the offense before we move on. Uh, Isaac Samal got his second start. I thought he looked good. I you could make an argument that he was their yeah. most consistent line. I would agree.
0: In fact, I kept looking for those plays where I felt like oh, that's a bad snap. I, you know, I'm not. I mean, again, maybe I missed a play or two because sure. I, I feel like I have to watch so many things. You know, when I watch, as, as, you know, and I'm very conscious of the other team too because i I work at NFL film so I'm not just looking at the Eagles. So I'm, I was looking at the Redskins as well but I don't really recall a snap where it came away saying that was a bad snap.
1: Yeah, you see the aggressiveness in the run He's game. Athletic. You saw the movement absolutely getting up to the second level. Uh, you saw the, the him looking for work and pass, yep. bro. He, he, looks good. he looked pretty good once again, and, which is good because if you're looking at uh, this Eagles draft class as we move forward, you know, you look at – Carson Wentz, who looks like he's going to be QB1 here for, for a decade plus. You, you look at uh, what Jalen Mills has been and what he can be in the future. You look at Wendell Smallwood. certainly looks like he could be a piece in, a, in an NFL backfield. Uh, you have Isaac Sayamalo. You have Big V. Some contributors yep. here from, the, from yep. the rookie class, which is, which is exciting to see because Sayamalo uh, is a guy that I really liked at Oregon State, and now seeing him start two games in the last three has been really, really fun. Uh, let's, go, let's go to the defense. Uh it, you know my again I mentioned that my, my Twitter mentions were on fire about that Ertz interception but it was kind of making up for it because there weren't many people t- talking about Fletcher Cox being overrated in my Twitter mentions this week thanks to <laughs> the fact that he had two sacks uh <laughs> right, not right, not right. a huge ch- change in the level the quality of his play no. but it, obviously he gets two sacks which was really good to see what did you think overall Greg, watching the eagles defense and particularly the front seven will start in the well, run game Well, let against me just say the Washington first thing team.
0: I noticed was their change in their nickel. Yeah, which was absolutely. that came out of left we, field we watched to me. That, we watched, we saw that live. Yeah, that came out of left field yeah. to me because Watkins I think played two snaps and they they Mills was the the slot corner and my sense is they want to see Well, I guess I don't know the answer to this. Maybe you know being in the building. I don't know if that was a function of feeling that Watkins did not play well or the belief that Mills down the road is a slot corner and they want to see him play slot corner over the final four games. Do you have a feel for that?
1: I I don't, but it it could also be too. I wonder uh, with all the different things that Washington does out of their three-by-one and all the the ways that they use those receivers – did you not want to have Malcolm Jenkins potentially matched up one on one with uh, a Deshaun Jackson or a James Crowder right, right down the scene? Right. Did you want a corner like Mills right. in that situation? And, and
0: that that could have been as simple as that to the matchup in this given game. Right, you're exactly, exactly right. Um, you know, I, I thought their defense. The, they had the problems that they've had in a sense all year. 181 of the 334 total yards came on five plays. Yeah, and, that's a, wow, that's and, a really impressive stat. And. You know, I'll give you a perfect example where they're getting hurt and they're going to have to figure out a way how to do this. And, and and I don't know the answer. I'm not a defensive coordinator. I'm not a defensive coach. I don't know the specific answer to this. But, you know, remember the week before Brandon LaFelle caught a 44 yard pass? So it was Quarters. Against quarters it was yep. the exact same yep. thing with the Jackson 80 yard yep. touchdown. Yep. And, you know, watching that play, I believe it was a three by one set, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. He was number two. He was yeah, and and I'm almost sure that the receiver to the the backside, the single receiver, stayed into block, and I think when that happens, the backside quarter safety has to overlap. You know, I think so. Real quickly, explain to that to the listeners who who don't necessarily
1: see what you're what you're saying here. Uh, In a three by one set, if that backside receiver stays in the block, so if it's a tight end. That safety who the safety on that side, the single receiver side, his eyes eyes
0: has to go to the three receiver side, especially because number one now, you know, first of all, there's no, there's no. Well, I'm trying to remember it specifically. I could be wrong here, but I'm almost certain. See, here's the way it works. Think of it this way: if you're playing quarters coverage, which means you have four defenders across in the secondary, each responsible for a quarter of the field. Right. So let's say that there's two receivers to each side. OK, obviously the corner is responsible for each outside receiver. The safeties are responsible then for each inside receiver. OK, if there's no number two to one side, OK. So it's a three receiver set to three one and the receivers side. are displaced. Then, the, a little then bit. Yep. The, the quarter's safety to that side of the single receiver, his eyes go to to number three. OK, sure. now if number three stays in, which is what happened on this play, number three did not release into a route he then has to go to two and play over. So, in other words, he has to leave his quarters on his side and go to the other side and overlap. And I think that that's, that was McLeod. And, again, I don't know how it's coached. I, I could be wrong. Sure. But I, I've been with defensive coaches, and I've heard that, and I think that that's just something. Otherwise, you're gonna, you can't just keep getting beat in the same coverage because corners and quarters are what we call outside leverage corners. They're and in a tough spot. They're in a tough spot. And especially if you run a route right at the safety on their side, it becomes man, and you're an outside leverage corner against man. And and Deshaun Jackson's going to run by pretty much everybody.
1: That's what when so when in those plays and you talk about the Brandon LaFell play, I hope that last was clear week. because yeah, I know that's what I'm trying. I, to, yeah. I, I obviously can see it in my mind because I see this all the time. So we'll, we'll try we'll try and bring it back down a little, even a level below. You think back to the play last week against LaFell, the Deshaun Jackson play this past week. You think back, even I can remember back a couple years ago when John Brown beat the Eagles late in the game down in Arizona. I remember it. On a it. very similar concept. Very similar concept. So on a deep post where the corner. A 75-yard touchdown. Right, where the yep. corner is playing with inside or outside leverage. He's funneling the receiver yep. inside because, in theory, he's got safety help. Well, that safety is only there to help if he doesn't have anybody threatening him in his part of the field. And the
0: cutoff point is usually viewed as about 9 to 10 yards. So if that second receiver runs right at the safety, quarters becomes man. Right. And the safety has to take that number two receiver, and the corner has to play the outside receiver. But he's in a difficult spot because he's playing with outside leverage. But this is the NFL. The answer isn't. Gee, they're in a tough spot. There has to be <laughs> sure. a response to it. Of course, absolutely. So it'll be
1: interesting to see uh, how they're able to respond to that because they have gotten beaten on that in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and it's it's interesting you brought up because about the the amount of yardage that they gave up five over plays, one hundred eighty-one yards. I mean, because overall, I mean they held the they held Robert Kelly. I think it was to to three point four yards a yeah, carry. Yeah, Redskins ran ran what forty-six offensive plays. He had eighty-three yards rushing. I mean, they didn't. Yeah, run they forty-six the ball.
0: offensive plays. Your opponent. You those are games you have to. Watch. Win.
1: yeah it, so it was it was a very up and down game but it was it was more uh, I know Eagles fans right. want to hear this because they gave up two rushing touchdowns late in the game and you know I was getting a lot of flack for that oh you're showing only the good rushing plays on Twitter well, there were there were a lot of good run right, stops. On right. def- the yeah. the defense overall, yeah. I thought, played well. You eliminate a couple of those big plays against you, and it really kind of helps change the aspect of the game. Really, the big thing that they improved on was third down. I think Kirk Cousins was 0 for 4 throwing on third down, was sacked once, and that was a huge jump from the week before against Cincinnati. The so, other
0: thing that stood out to me was Stephen Means because yeah, he played. I thought point. he played well, yeah, that's good and point. Connor Barwin was the – the negative recipient, shall we say, of Stephen Means less snaps, sure. getting more snaps because Barwin got fewer snaps. Yeah. But I thought Means flashed. I mean, you know, again, I don't know what he can be. Is he the kid from Buffalo? From Buffalo. Played opposite of Khalil Mack. He was drafted, if I'm not I mistaken. I want to say he was a sixth or seventh round pick. Yeah. 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 And I remember watching him because I watched Mac, and he he stood out in college, obviously, and I thought he had a chance in the league, and I guess he's been with three or four teams, but... I think he's got a chance to be a rotational player.
1: I thought Means looked really good this summer, too, in the preseason. So uh, that's another guy to keep an eye on the last three weeks of the year here. Uh, Let's let's look at this week's opponent, the Baltimore Ravens, just as we wrap this up and we look at the challenges they can present to the Eagles and some of the players we've talked Defensively about. Defensively is where there's. That's a that's what's yeah. going to be very interesting. Is that Carson Wentz has got a big test against
0: Dean. So Keyes does the o line and, and this Ravens. Absolutely, it's a reworked o line. So what do you see when you watch Baltimore on tape? Well, first of all, they're very multiple with their front looks. And I know a lot of fans don't think about front looks. They think, oh, they're a four man line, they're a three man line, but they line people up all over across the line, and that changes blocking schemes. And that, also, that requires adjustments. Um, you know, b- Kelsey probably is the one who makes the calls, and it requires adjustments because every front, depending on the play call, you have to block that front. So they're very multiple with their fronts. They're very multiple with their pressures. They're very multiple with their blitz schemes. They do a lot in the secondary. They disguise coverage, and they play a lot of different coverages. And and they're really good on third and long. Uh, you know, they're, they're they're a good defense. It's a tough challenge, not just for Carson Wentz. This is a tough challenge throughout because this O line, this reworked O line, they're going to have to sort of sort things out as they go in this game
1: for a team that struggled to run the ball in the Eagles. Uh, this is yeah. a tough run defense. T- too. T- Brandon oh. Williams and Timmy Jernigan has looked really good. Lawrence Michael Guy. Mike Pierce, is in the Pierce. Yeah, yeah, that kid's yeah. coming out of nowhere. I know I was, I he, he plays him. good snaps.
0: Matt Juden to me yeah. has played really well as an edge setter in their run game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, Zach Orr and CJ Mosley mentioned uh, on the inside. It, it's a very good front seven. A lot of
0: moving pieces. A lot of moving parts. McClellan comes in yeah. in their nickel, and and he's you know he's he's kind of a, a movable chess piece. I mean it. A lot of different players move around
1: the area where, with all the different uh, moving parts and all the different disguises, the different blitzes from all different areas and, and levels, it is. It uh, you mentioned the offensive line, that's an area where you want to see Wentz develop a little bit. Correct, it is seeing things, especially when the defense shows one thing pre snap and does something different post snap. You've seen him get fooled, not not into in a, no. an awful sense, and then get he gets fooled the same way. A veteran quarterback right, get fooled right. by it. Uh, but it's, it is an area it's about w- where it will be the biggest test for him this week.
0: Always a challenge. The term that I always use, and, and, you know, the great quarterbacks can do a lot of this pre-snap just from experience. Carson Wentz is not at that point. No rookie quarterback is at that point. But it's how quickly you can eliminate and isolate. Because one of the things about quarterback play, to me, what separates guys is how quickly they know where not to throw the football. Right. Because this game is so fast that if you're a half a beat late – as a quarterback, you're late, yeah. and so it's just a process of how how quickly you can eliminate what's not there, and then isolate what is there.
1: A lot of familiar names for Eagles fans on the on the offensive coaching staff for the for the Baltimore Ravens. You have Marty Morgan yes. uh, Juan Castillo, among others. Uh, what can Eagles fans and what can the Eagles defense expect from this Baltimore offense? What challenges they can can they present to Jim Schwartz in this unit?
0: Well. The past couple of weeks have been a lot of passing. Now, I don't know if they'll try to go back and settle things down by running the football. And if that's the case, you'll see a lot of Terrence West. They've had some moments this year where they've run well. If they decide they really want to throw a lot, as they've done the last number of weeks, you'll see more Kenneth Dixon, the rookie from Louisiana Tech, who you and I both really like coming out. And he's a really good sort of complementary two-way back. He can run, and he's a really good receiver out of the backfield. Um, so it depends on their approach. It's been a pass-first approach. It's a rhythm passing game. Everybody thinks of Flacco having a big arm, and he does, but this offense has been much more timing, rhythm-based than more intermediate, m- vertically-based, so uh, it's, it's, it's a challenge because the ball comes out usually.
1: It's interesting. I was looking at his vertical passing numbers. Ben Fennell did a great job of pulling this number for me. Flacco on throws of 20-plus yards downfield is only 11 of 47 this year, 23%. Which is not what you would imagine. Well, it's only harder forty-seven, harder for 7 them. and that's the thing. Yeah, that's exactly that's, right. That so sample size that is low. To me, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's not it's not an explosive offense from that respect. But like you mentioned, a lot of the timing, rhythm, the offensive line, a lot of moving parts because of injuries and things like that. But big group that, that can do some things up front in terms of moving people. Yeah, uh, in the pass game and in the run. And game. I
0: think a matchup to look for, assuming the Eagles do what they did last week with Jalen Mills still playing in the slot. I think one matchup to look for is Malcolm Jenkins, then would match up on the tight end, Dennis Pitta.
1: And we know Pitta is a, a huge favorite yeah. uh, for Flacco. So, uh, Greg, appreciate the time. Looking forward to watching this game with you Sunday. And we'll talk to you next week here on the Eagle Island Sky podcast. Thanks, Fran. Great stuff from Greg. Again, you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That's one way to support the show. But as you guys know... The other is to go on iTunes or Stitcher, give us a rating, leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out to Jordan, who's JJFree2381 on Twitter. He recently shared the podcast on Twitter and gave us a shout-out. So thanks to Jordan and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep this show going. I told you earlier I wanted to profile a player that I was a bit on the fence with when he entered the draft but he will certainly be a factor on Sunday. Time to reveal who that is in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so the player that we're going to talk about this week on scouting report – Baltimore fullback Kyle Uzchek, just over six foot one, two hundred and forty eight pounds. He came out in the draft in twenty thirteen and you know I was a little iffy on him. He was a big time player in the Ivy League for Harvard as a four-year starter, was extremely productive during his career. I remember watching him against Princeton and being amazed at all the different ways he was used. But it was just tough to try and translate and project that to the NFL. You know, he lined up in the slot. He was put on the line of scrimmage with his hand in the ground as a tight end. He lined up in the backfield as a fullback. When I watched him on tape, I saw a solid athlete, not elite for the fullback position, but a guy that I thought could handle himself in space. Very unassuming frame. You know, I mentioned 6'1, 248 pounds. He looked like he had short arms. You know, he was a little bit squatty. He had that stout body, nearly 250. He stood out to me, though, as a route runner. He definitely had some savvy in that facet of the game, ability to separate against Ivy League defenders in space, and he had really soft hands, which he put on display down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl back in 2013, and all of that stuff has turned out to be true. The big thing is I thought he really needed to get stronger as a blocker. He was not a mauler in the run game, and even against that level of competition, he did get overwhelmed at times, and I didn't see a ton of pop in his pads as a blocker, and as I look back now... I really undervalued him because I had a tough time projecting him from the Ivy League to the NFL. Now I watch him with the Ravens and all the ways he's used in that offense. I mean, he runs routes vertically down the field. He's running dig dig routes as a fullback, you know, releasing inside the formation and running a deep dig in the inter- intermediate level. He's a lead blocker in the run game, and he is tough as nails. I've seen him block some of the best linebackers in football one-on-one. He's athletic. I mentioned that movement, those movement skills earlier. Really good receiver out of the backfield. He had a 55-yard catch and run against the Patriots on Monday Night Football this week. They do a lot of creative things with him where he's chipping defenders or cutting players off the edge, going to the ground, getting up, catching screen passes against the grain. He's just such an efficient target both in the red zone, third down, just key situations for quarterback Joe Flacco and certainly a player that I'm excited to see the Eagles linebackers face. He's in, you know, in essence, he's their third down back, basically a third and long Jordan Hicks, Nigel Bradham, Michael Kendricks. They're going to have to deal with him in a lot of different ways, keep an eye on where he's at in this football game. So I'm just excited to see it all play out on Sunday afternoon. All right, so again, great stuff from Greg Cosell and all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, you guys know the list at this point. And, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And, again, if you get the time, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think. Do not be afraid to leave us a question on there because I'd love the ability to answer it here on the podcast, go really in-depth. So if you want to leave us a question, I'll take requests from here on out, especially going into the off season. So wherever you're listening, you just go on, Shoot us a comment whenever and wherever you listen to the show. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Line the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.